in those early days, it was, you know, very tough sledding to convince people that, yeah, we're going to be okay building, you know, a very, very large solar field on this closed steel mill. This is the Contractor's Corner podcast series from Solar Power World. Hi, everyone. I'm Kelsey Misbrenner here today with Paul Curran of BQ Energy. Hi, Paul. Good morning. How are you doing? Doing good. How are you? It's perfect. Awesome. So BQ Energy is a unique developer. You guys work mostly in brownfield or is it all brownfield development? exclusively on brownfields and landfills. So we um, we really look for sites that have an environmental history. Uh, we actually turn down more projects than we do because it's not uncommon that somebody sees the work we're doing and you know their aunt has a farm that they'd like to turn into a solar field and we just, um, we just don't pursue those. Okay. So BQ has been installing brownfield solar projects since 2008. Tell me about those first projects and how have things changed since then? Well, changed quite a bit. Um, we actually started out doing some wind projects. Um, we almost accidentally built a wind farm when I was working for a big oil company. And um, and it was a good experience. And we realized that there were a lot of old oil company properties out there. Um, so we went looking for those types of properties. And then eventually working with some uh, landowners, we realized that solar made a lot of sense. And then about 2008 was really when um, the economics of solar started to make sense. Um, so we did a few of those and it really uh, took off from there. The biggest challenge or the biggest thing that's different now is most of the counterparties, most of the stakeholders in our projects are, you know, big coal companies or big oil companies or steel companies or, you know, people that own a landfill, you know, and those types of things. You know, those people are heavy industry. Um, and those people were not early converts to the idea of renewable energy. Um, you know, they were really kind of skeptical of the whole idea. So the challenges of our projects were the same as anybody else's challenges, that is selling electricity and, you know, getting permits and did the wires handle it. But but in addition, really being taken seriously was the biggest challenge. You know, how are we going to convince these stakeholders that this is a good idea and um, make sense? Um, nowadays, thankfully, that, um, you know, the the experience proves itself out that, um, you know, we can show them, you know, coal mines that we've converted into solar fields or landfills and so forth. So it's a it's a much easier conversation to start. But in those early days, it was, you know, very tough sledding to convince people that, yeah, we're going to be OK building, you know, a very, very large solar field on this closed steel mill. Right. And I mean, they they stood to benefit from it, obviously, because that's their land. And they have, still, yeah. um, you know, a brownfield is really uh, a very, very difficult thing for a company to carry. Um, you know, the community wants to see that land put back into service. It Historically, you know, an old oil field or an old coal mine was a source of employment. And um, there was a lot of industries that popped up around it and a pretty good tax base, too. Um, so when you close down an industrial plant, you know, it's really something that impacts not just the employees and certainly not just the landowner, but the area around it. So, you know, the good news there was we oftentimes had a real fan in the industrial development uh, community, the towns themselves that wanted to see this land go forward. You know, it's very common that we work on a landfill. Um, you know, a, this is literally a dump that, uh, that the town closed 
20, 30, 40 years ago. And it's been sitting there idle and it's of no use to anybody. And, you know, we approach them and, you know, come in with a plan of how can we turn this literally a dump uh, into a usable environmental showpiece. And it, and it really works for the community's benefit. You know, we've never had somebody come back to us after we built one and said it's different than what you said. Um, you know, realistically, it's just a good idea to, to reuse an old industrial site that has no other purpose or an old landfill that has no other purpose um, for a renewable energy project, a solar project. It, um, it works out very, very well for the community. Right. And it also means tax dollars back to the community because the property owner is paying taxes on that commercial use, right? Absolutely. Um, it's a big boon for the uh, for the town. You know, it'd be one thing if this was displacing, you know, a residential community or, you know, townhouses or something else. It's not. Um, you know, you can't put a park, you can't put a, a a house, you can't put, you know, an industrial complex even on these lands because they're um, the landfills are, you know, uh, geotechnically or structurally bad because it's garbage. You know, a brownfield, by definition, has got some pollution history. Uh, and you don't want people kind of, uh, you know, playing or digging or uh, other things around there. You really want to make sure this land is protected, and it has been. Uh, and so putting solar on top of it, you know, and doing it in a way that's very responsible. Our construction technique is different than most. Um, and we do wind up, you know, working very, very closely with the Ohio EPA in, in a case of an Ohio project or the uh, Texas Commission on Environmental Quality, the equivalent of the EPA, uh, to make sure that they understand exactly what are we going to do? What steps are we going to follow during construction to make sure that the environmental integrity of what's there now is maintained or enhanced? Can you tell me a little bit more about those construction techniques that you guys use that are a little different from others? Sure. The, um, normally we build up. So uh, it's very common on a landfill project in particular, uh, especially one that's been closed recently, that we are um, our foundations are above ground. Um, so, you know, the, the foundations for a solar project are actually a little different than most in that, you know, oftentimes you know, a foundation, you think of something that can bear the weight of what you're building on top. Well, solar panels are very, very light. Um, what you're really worried about is them lifting. They make a very good airfoil, actually. If you think about them, they're kind of tilted uh, in a certain direction. So if the wind comes in that direction, they tend to lift. You have to kind of counterbalance that from an engineering point of view. And so we need to put um, some weight underneath the, uh, the solar panels. Uh, but at the same time, we don't want to disturb what's in the ground, nor the protection layer that's been placed there when the landfill was closed. So in our case, we uh, we build up, we put, um, think of it like a, a little kid's swimming pool, um, you know, and lots of them uh, all over the landfill site to basically that, that holds the posts and the racking system. Uh, and then we go from there. In addition, wires are run generally above ground. Um, you know, we try to build everything we can above ground um, so that we're not disturbing the waste in any way. Has oversight of these kinds of projects changed over the years? Like, did the EPA even know what to do with you guys when you first started out in 08? <laughs> the EPA had a clue. Uh, most states didn't. Um, as recently as uh, last year, um, we got the first permit for a landfill-based solar project in the state of Texas. Um, and it's it's not uncommon that we are the first one in in a given state. Um, so generally speaking, the good news now is that 
the state of Texas could call up the state of Ohio or Maryland or someplace else and say, you know, these have been up in your state for several months or several years. Now, what is it that we should be looking for and what is it that we have to consider? So it's a, now it's not quite as bad. The first time we went through it, um, there was certainly some learning curves. Uh, I recall in uh, Massachusetts, which was one of the first states that did a lot of this, um, <clears throat> there was a question of would the grass grow underneath the solar panels? And grass on a landfill is very important. It's not just for aesthetics. It basically holds the soil in place so you don't get erosion, uh, which is very important on a landfill. So, you know, we didn't know, would the grass keep growing? Uh, it turns out that um, grass grows very well in the shade, um, even better in the shade than it does, um, you know, in a hot summer day uh, than it does out in the open. So, um, you know, we did some, you know, work with, in that case, the University of Massachusetts to verify that. Um, and it turned out that that was the right answer was, yep, it, 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 it's just fine. Don't worry about it. Okay. So you're a little bit of a test pilot for some things. <clears throat> That happens from time to time where we're trying to do something different or new, uh, or just the uh, that particular state or the regulators have uh, some concerns. And so we, uh, you know, to the extent that they're reasonable, we're, we're very, uh, it's not that hard to, to measure how much grass grows. Um, so we're happy to work with them on that. What has been the most challenging brownfield project your company has completed, whether that's permitting or technical construction? You know, it's a little bit like asking, you know, which of your children misbehaves the most. Uh, <laughs> it depends on what you're doing that day. Um, so we've done um, projects on nuclear fuels reprocessing centers. Um, we've done uh, abandoned steel mills. We've done them on landfills. We have one now down in Houston that um, the landfill maintenance has been really rather dreadful. Um, so going through and trying to design around literally decades of bad maintenance on the landfill um, has been very challenging. Um, you know, in, in that case, it's simply a question of trying to, you know, work around what we're given. Um, we're going to make the, the landfill and the area around the landfill a lot better, you know, just by virtue of doing appropriate maintenance. So, you know, a landfill is supposed to be kind of like a golf course, you know, a wide open field of grass and this kind of stuff. Um, this one looks like a jungle. Uh, there are trees all over and, you know, not maintained trees. So so those types of projects where there has not been appropriate maintenance, you know, are always our most challenging. There's a fellow in, um, I think it was in Connecticut, that um, said, you know, if you call up a, me up and ask me about a particular landfill site, uh, this was a, an environmental regulator, um, and I've never heard of the site or, you know, I have no memory of it. So that's a good sign. He says, if I know it well, then um, that's a bad sign because it's, you know, it's like who comes to the principal's office, uh, the ones that you really, really know well. If if I don't know that kid, it works well. So, so there's a lot of sites that we go into and they're just um, really, really simple. The ones that have not been well maintained are the ones that are challenging always. Um, We've never had to abandon a project because of uh, those types of challenges. They just take a little longer to, to go through the planning. Generally, the construction is, you know, pretty straightforward once we get that far. But we have to go through all the what ifs. You know, you know, is this going to be a problem, you know, if we encounter it? And what you don't want to be is surprised during construction. That was going to be my next question, if you have had to abandon a project. So that's that's a pretty good track record. We've not. We 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 have rejected projects. 
Um, you know, there are some projects where the um, uh, the slope of the landfill is too great. Landfills can be built different ways. And so there's some that we we go out to the site during a scoping tour and we realize this just isn't going to work for a lot of reasons. Um, you know, there's others. There's a couple occasionally we come across a privately owned landfill. Um, so oftentimes some, you know, entrepreneur bought a landfill 50 years ago and now his grandchildren own it. And, you know, from a business point of view, it's just a very difficult relationship. They really don't want to own it. Um, and um, so we've abandoned projects early in the game when we realized that, you know, this is going to be a contentious relationship all the way through and that kind of thing. So before we started, we've been abandoned a couple uh, before we start construction, mm-hmm. but um, but never during construction. Once we get to that point, um, you know, we've done well. And as I say, um, it's a kind of a weird thing to say, but most of the projects we've built, we rarely we rarely hear anything about them. Um, you know, we monitor their operation. We monitor how much production they're doing. But it's um, once they're built, they're pretty much out of sight, out of mind, and they they run and they do what they're supposed to do. You know, we go out and mow the lawn. We go out and inspect it every so often. But it's um, they're pretty benign once they're up and running, and and that's a good thing that we're not getting phone calls from from our sites. Um, how has new technology made these installations easier as far as mounting or even panel efficiency or lightness? You know, the the deal is that when we first started, as I say, people didn't take this very seriously. Um, and so, you know, we used the equipment that everybody else did, and it really wasn't customized for landfills or so forth. As I say, the, the foundations, you know, this idea of doing you know, little kids swimming pools kind of thing of uh, of uh, cement on the ground to hold everything in place was, you know, something that, you know, was developed and it works just fine. But I think now we're seeing, first off, the panel sizes are much, much, you know, more efficient and much larger than they were, you know, when we first started. So we are constrained by the size of a landfill. You know, we can't make the plant any bigger. You know, the landfill itself is the size that it is. So if we can get three or four megawatts into a certain size landfill um, and now the panels are bigger, you know, maybe we can get five or six megawatts into the same landfill. Um, and we're not taking away land from another use. So it just makes sense to put as many panels as we can and as many megawatts we can. So that helps us enormously. In addition, the market for renewables on brownfields and landfills has made a couple of uh, you know smaller companies really come into the space with racking systems that are better um, for kind of undulating land. Uh, Landfills, when you close them, uh, the material tends to decay. And so we get some settlement in the first few years after a landfill will close. In this case, it, um, you know, you wind up where, you know, over here might be a little bit lower than this area. So it's kind of an undulating or, you know, some bumps on the surface. These types of things are, you know, difficult to design around. Um, but uh, lately, we've had a lot of, um, uh, or a couple of companies come to us with racking systems that are really very forgiving of the of the terrain, um, and that really opens up a lot more possibilities for which sites we can pursue. You know, I said before that we uh, oftentimes have to turn down a a landfill because it's too hilly. Uh, now we can go back to those and say, you know, really this makes a lot of sense. Our projects, generally speaking, and this surprises people, are much closer to load pockets. So, 
you know, we have a good project we'll be building uh, next year in Columbus, Ohio, and it's really close to Columbus, Ohio. <laughs> the project in Houston I referred to before, um, you know, that's five miles from City Hall. That's where electricity is ideally generated, is right in the middle of a load center. And there's no way you could find 250 acres of open land in Houston, Texas, that had a value that was low enough that you could use it for solar. But a landfill property has no value um, and has been, uh, it really is electrically the best site in Texas you could find. Everybody else is trying to get power into the city of Houston on a day like this, which is pretty hot down there. Um, you know, in our case, we are literally downtown and it really works a lot better for us. So does that also mean that you're often pretty close to transmission and distribution centers as well? So yeah, and that's too much pain with that. Things we look for very closely. So, you know, there are literally hundreds of uh, landfills in the state of Ohio, as an example. Many of them are close to power lines. Many are not. And we do need to be near one. Um, so that's one of the first screens that we'll do is to go looking for, you know, where can we find um, some power lines? If we're in the city of Houston, there's lots of power lines all over the place. Um, so it works out well for us. Uh, if we're in, um, you know, we have a project about uh, 15 minutes north of New York City. Uh, again, you know, in an area that really needs electricity. Um, so we go looking for these types of sites. It's one of our first screens as we look at things. Um, you know, is there a brownfield or a landfill that we can look at? And then secondly, you know, are the site characteristics, including power uh, access, um, something that we can live with? So it works out well. We'll be right back. This edition of the Contractor's Corner podcast is brought to you by Scanafly, the only drone-based solar design software. Learn more about Scanafly at scanafly.com. This podcast is also sponsored by Aurora Solar. There's so much going on in the solar industry, it can be hard to keep up. Never mind get ahead. Whether you're in sales, operations, or leadership, Empower is the one-day virtual event to help you improve your solar business and it's free. So join industry leaders, policy experts, and solar pros on August 16th to learn more about the issues that matter most to your solar business. Register at aurorasolar.com backslash empower23. This podcast is also sponsored by RE+. RE+, in Las Vegas, is shaping up to be the largest event ever, with over 1,100 exhibitors. Join the industry at the hub to meet network and accelerate the growth of your business. Register today at re-plus.com. Now back to the show. So brownfields have been in the news a lot lately with the federal incentives now through the IRA. Um, how does that kind of change or impact your business? Well, change is something that it doesn't do. We've been doing this for a long, long time. Um, that um, and we're just doing the same thing we did before. We were as surprised as anybody. Um, we're not lobbyists. Um, you know, occasionally these types of things have happened in state level uh, regulations before. Um, people that have realized that there really isn't anything wrong with this idea. <clears throat> you know, if you go below the surface, um, putting solar energy on a landfill or a brownfield is a good idea. You know, we didn't invent it. You know, we just do it. We think we do it better than anybody else, but but we do it. So the federal um, IRA that was passed last August or developed last August um, is really a 
um, kind of a testimony to this is a good idea. Uh, it gives 10% extra uh, investment tax credit to what are called energy communities. And basically that's landfills and brownfields. It's the, exactly the places that we've been working. Uh, and it works out that that is a tremendous um, uh, adder to our projects, projects which were kind of marginal. Um, you know, it does cost more to build on a landfill or a brownfield often the case. Um, so to the extent that um, we can have a bit of, a, um, of an incentive, um, it helps us out enormously and it works out well for us. So um, we've gotten a lot of calls since then um, from people that own brownfields and landfills. As I say, we work with uh, coal companies, we work with oil companies, we work with gas companies. <clears throat> and, um, you know, they have a lot of these properties. And, um, you know, the conversations have you know, gotten much more serious now about um, knowing that there's a little bit more of an incentive and properties which maybe were marginal in terms of being able to develop uh, now are, are much closer to being able to be done. Do you have any other questions about these adders that the guidance is kind of not clear on yet? Sure. Well, it's a wonderful thing they did, but it's not a perfect thing they did. Um, you know, the, the regulations, if you recall, were developed very quickly. So there's a couple of quirks, frankly, that um, um, that are just a, when we asked, why did you do this? Um, you know, the answer seems to be, well, we did it quickly and we weren't aware of that detail. As an example, you know, they do give incentives for, um, you know, environmentally challenged sites, so landfills and brownfields. They don't give incentives if it's a super fun site. Um, so if your site is too polluted, um, it doesn't qualify, and that doesn't make any sense. They do give incentives for projects to be located in lower and middle-income areas. So we want you to develop in, um, you know, poorer neighborhoods, neighborhoods that could use some redevelopment. Um, but it's limited to five megawatts. So we want you to put money into those communities, but not too much money. Um, and those types of things are just you know, they they didn't think of it or there's some other bureaucratic reason. Um, so like every piece of legislation, you know, when they go back and revisit it, we hope they'll clean those things up. You know, it's reasonable. What they did is great. Gives us a lot of, uh, you know, good ways of doing it. But we have a couple of projects that, you know, they are on Superfund sites or they are six megawatts and not five megawatts. And, you know, for a regulation to say we'd, you know, accidentally, we'd rather you decrease your investment in that community. Certainly nobody intended for us to do that, but that's what it says. And certainly, as I say, we don't lobby, so we don't go back and, um, you know, ask people to change it. But, you know, I think people are realizing that there's some quirks that have to be fixed. Right. Okay. What is preventing you from installing more brownfield solar projects? You know, um, bandwidth. Uh, actually, you know, we did an arrangement about a year ago before all of the uh, federal legislation um, with Clean Capital, where they now own us. Um, and, you know, that just was we couldn't have timed it any better. Um, you know, they're a uh, an outfit that wants to own these types of projects. Um, and they're a very, very quickly growing company. They looked at us and said that um, they loved what we were doing. They loved the the niche that we play in. Um, and, and realistically, um, they had, um, some heft in terms of, you know, some resources in terms of, uh, you know, I spent a lot of my time, you know, financing projects and dealing with HR issues and all the things of a fun, uh, small businessman and so forth. 
Um, nowadays, we can spend all of our time, you know, doing what we do well, which is developing more projects. Um, so it's really worked well, um, even with the clean capital um, acquisition. Um, we still could use more um, ability to kind of quickly get through projects. Having said that, you know, all of our projects have to go through a tremendous amount of scrutiny because we are redeveloping a environmentally challenged site. So you don't really want to have the right to develop a landfill very quickly. You want to take your time and do it right. Um, so, you know, speed is something that we love because it gets us on to the next thing. But um, but we do want to make sure that the all of the steps in every state on every project are, you know, uh, well respected and well done through carefully. Um, and so I think the you know the the speed is a nice thing, uh, but um, but our ability to do projects, um, we don't ever want to have a project not be completed as we expected from an environmental point of view. <clears throat> you know, it's a pretty common thing. We. We don't have many competitors that do just this. Um, but when we learn of one, um, it's not uncommon that they call us up and ask questions. And um, and we answer every question for competitors. And we do that because we really don't want somebody else to mess one of these up. Um, you know, it's bad for everybody if, you know, building solar on a landfill suddenly seems like a bad idea because there's an example of a bad one. Um, so, you know, everybody doing these well is in everybody's interest. You know, and I think it is a very popular idea now, uh, popular among, you know, environmental regulators. Um, and we want to keep it that way. We want to make sure that, you know, all of these projects are well done. You know, the EPA estimated there's about 450,000 brownfields uh, in the United States. Um, there are probably a couple of hundred of these projects that have been done so far. So there's plenty of space for everybody to grow. Uh, and plenty of space for these projects to be completed in the years to come. We'd like to do them quicker, but uh, getting them all done and done right is probably really what we need to do. Well, thank you so much for your time, Paul. This was really enlightening um, conversation and really cool stuff you guys are doing. Super. If you think of any other questions, Kelsey, let me know. This has been another edition of Contractors Corner. Join us each month as I talk to solar contractors across the country. Thanks for listening to the Solar Power World podcast. Visit us online at solarpowerworldonline.com for more great featured content and breaking solar news. See you back here next month.